How I teach about chastity is that it's a law of heaven, that we have this law, uh, which is that sex is in, I, I believe the law of chastity is sex is meant to be shared in a relationship, in a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And that waiting until marriage to share that part of your life is just, it's wise. It's sexual conservatism is just wise especially for women, uh, if you talk about STIs and pregnancies. And, but it also is wise as far as emotional, you know, you're, there's a lot of fragmentation that can happen and things like that emotionally. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, and I've got to give a shout-out at the beginning of this episode. My friend, Lisa Spice, she said, hey, you know what? You need to talk to my friend Tammy Hill. You two should do a podcast together. She's the greatest. Then she goes on to say, you're the greatest. So I I sort of I sort of have some judgment of her character if she says that about me. And that is how we get to this episode. Good to have you here, Tammy. Thank you, Richie. I'm excited to be here. Well, and it's fun to, uh, I mean, people, some people call it research as they're going into uh, these these type of interviews. I like to just call it what I, th- I think it really is, which is stalking. And so it's fun to be able to see all the different places that you show up on the internet. Uh, one of the things that I think touched me most, and I'd like to go not necessarily into your podcast itself, but the, the name of it is Live Your Why. And I, yeah. I would love to know. There, there's there's a lot of popular literature around that, but I'd love to know what your inter- interpretation of Live Your Why is. Yeah, well, I'm a fan of Simon Sinek, so I, I'm not, hopefully not stealing. I did try to <laughs> go through, I went through an attorney to make sure I wasn't going to plagiarize on anything by calling my podcast that, that and he said I was fine. So um, I believe that we are happiest. I'm a therapist, and I believe we're happiest when we know who we are and what we're about and we're choosing to live that way. And so for me personally, I really have like, I'm showing you my hand pointing upwards that this is how I want to live. And this is who I really want to become my Mm -hmm. core values. Everything that are really important to me are here. And then maybe this hand here is how I'm choosing to live. And whenever I'm choosing to live different than how I want to really be, the more miserable I am. And so to me, I call this the gulf of misery mm. It is between um, living aligned to who you really want to become and living every day, just being like we all are kind of stupid sometimes. <laughs> and so I know that for me, the more I shrink this gulf and, and behave and, and actually live the way that I believe I want to be, the more peaceful, more happy I am. So that's as I heard you explaining it, the uh, the song of uh, of our primary kids. I know who I am. I know God's plan. I'll follow Him in faith. Is essentially what you just said, just maybe in a little bit more uh, you know clinic approach, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, I do. I really think our identity, who we believe that we are, and what I I think that should give us a sense of grounding, um, and that if we're if we're living as we are grounded in who we are, I don't think there's anything that brings more joy, honest. So so I hear that, and uh, I want to open that idea up a little bit, because I think that there are some people, like, I think within the church, when we hear, you know, the way the way that we're living and the way that we want to live, or or, or how we could live, and, and our, a lot of our minds maybe align that with 
you know, sin or transgression, right? We know we shouldn't be lying to people, but for whatever reason, we're lying to people. Or, you know, we've been dishonest with our business dealings. We know we should, and we feel better. We have more integrity about that. That That's not all this, um, like, knowing your your why or who you are is. There's a whole other component that isn't, like, sin or, or transgression-based. Oh, so to me, so much more than that, really. Um, I think, uh, I'm going to just be really frank, I'm a sex therapist, and I believe really well-intentioned people through the decades of church history have, um, and teaching in church settings and leadership within the church, that we're very immature sexually as a people. Hmm. We cannot um, talk about sexual pleasure without freaking out or feeling like it's a, a sinful thing to even want to have that in your life. And I really think that we live far beneath our privileges. Um, and I'm talking specifically, I'm sure it's in many ways, but I'm specifically talking about my niche, which is sexuality and marriage. And um, I think if we were to really understand that our bodies have the capacity to both give and receive pleasure and that we're created in the image of heavenly parents who are sexual beings. I know that's from a, a devotional that Elder Holland gave back in 1989 at BYU. He talks about that. And I um, I think if we embrace that part of ourselves, we're going to get rid of a lot of this feeling that I shouldn't or I should and all of that and and just live full, um, rich, uh, with, in, with intention and with joy. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I've got, I definitely have some questions sort of around it though, right? So, so speaking back what you just said, you know, we have, we, we are underliving the privileges that, that God gave us sexually. And, you know, so now I want to combine that idea with living your why. So, so, uh, how, as you, um, work therapy with people, like it, is it, I need to to know myself sexually. There's a gulf of where I'm at sexually, and then there's this core alignment of where that is. And and maybe you you might have to, and everyone will pay for the therapy session here, Tammy, but you may have yeah. to walk us through, like, how would you even begin to go, oh, here's my why, sexually speaking? Oh, such a good question. I love it. Um, understanding basic to me what I, and I've just spent years, honestly, years studying what is it that we really understand in the church about our sexuality? What do we understand about sex? And our theology really is beautiful. Um, there's so many components of it. I don't want to go into all of them particularly, but that we're created in the image of heavenly parents. We have bodies that look and function like theirs, that part of the reason that we're here on earth is not only to create life, which we need to have sex to do that, but also to bond and find um, a lot of happiness within our marriage relationships, that um, we're embodied spirits and part of our development, a lot of our development here is learning how to be embodied and how to manage our bodies, how to embrace and love our bodies. Um, I've, I believe I teach my, I teach at BYU, so I tell my students all the time, I really believe when and if we get to return heaven to heaven and have a conversation with our heavenly parents that they might ask one of the first questions I think they'll ask is, well, tell, tell us how you enjoyed your body. And I don't think we do that very well. Um, I don't think that we're 
a lot of times learning to do that. So I think it's this alignment here with this part of the way is that you understand and you kind of gain an assurance that this is a good part of being human. Mm -hmm. And it's a part of um, this experience that we should not be afraid of or ashamed of, but to learn about. And then uh, along with that component, because marriage is a sexual contract and, and sex is to be the way uh, that we understand in the laws of heaven or the order of heaven that sex is to be shared between a man and a wife who married, right? Mm-hmm. At least at this point, that's what we understand. And so then we have this whole new, well, we've got this couple now who are coming together. And I think they need to understand the theology and get on board with that. And then the, the really important component of that is when we marry, uh, in covenant marriage, we are, we're promising that all of our sexual energy, all of our romantic, flirtatious, affectionate type of energy is going to go to this relationship only. Mm-hmm. We're not going to look outwards for any of that. And so when we do that and we commit to do that, you see in that dynamic, there's a huge responsibility then. Yeah. We, are re- we are one another sexual stewards in marriage. And that stewardship to me is every bit as important as any type of calling that we put time to it, that we learn about it, that we pray over it, that we um, labor to understand it. I mean, there's just so much uh, as a couple chooses to really be responsible sexual stewards. I everything else in their marriage falls together. Um, through the years of working with therapy, if they can get on board and and I they have to have that basic component of trust sure. before this will happen. But if they have that trust and they're able to really work through the sexual aspect of their relationship and embrace the idea of being one another stewards and helping one another mature and develop sexually together, there's nothing they can't do. You know, you talk about us being uh, fairly um, sexually immature within the church or certainly within the culture of the church. Maybe there are some parts uh, uh, members of the church in some part of the country or some part of the world that aren't this way. So a generalized statement for sure. In my mind, I sort of think um, as I walk uh, walk through like people that I know and the idea of this, I think I, I think from a conceptual level, they go, yeah, Tammy, you bet. Of course. Our heavenly parents made us in a way that we're supposed to enjoy it. It, you know, the S word, you know. <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, and then sort of do the nod and then we're not able to to engage it. So is it just a matter of being able to um, start small and have those conversations so that we can be able to talk about these things more in depth? I think there are, as to your point, there are generations of people that haven't had this um, taught to them about how to be able to talk to it. And so, and you probably see this and tell me if I'm wrong, people that come in and they're like, yes, we need help. And you're like, well, we need to talk about sex. And they're like, we will not be coming back. Thank you for your time. Go ahead and take our money. We'll do this a different way. Yeah. Well, I think people seek me out because of this factor. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly if a couple is coming and I'm not going to force them to do sexual therapy, um, if they're wanting to work on other aspects of their relationship, then we'll, I'll go where they want or need me to go. Mm -hmm. I, uh, what, Generally, the research John Gottman does that really supports this idea is that when people are satisfied in their sexual relationship, they consider more than 70% of them consider themselves to be in a really high functioning, satisfactory marriage. Hmm. 
On the other hand, when people feel like their their sexual relationship is dissatisfactory, less than 20% of them feel like they're living in a, a satisfactory marriage. Wow. It has a, that's important. It's an important part of um, marriage. It's an important part of life. So, so if, uh, if someone's listening to this and obviously we wouldn't go through a complete therapy and everyone's individual. So all the caveats we need to make as far as that, right, goes, right, right. but how, how would you, you have, um, a, a situation where, where it is a dissatisfactory marriage and they're saying, Hey, you know what? We, yeah, we would, we would work, like to work on this, um, from a sexual standpoint. Like what is that maybe first or, or first couple steps that you would go here? Let's go here for a minute. Yeah. First, I always, always assess for safety. Um, I'm, I meet individually for brief minutes of time before coming together um, just to make sure people feel emotionally, physically safe. If safety is there, then we go to the next step where they come together. I always tell my couples, the wife, you are not my client. The husband, you are not my client. Your marriage is my client. Mm. I'm going to be working for the marriage, which means sometimes I'm going to have to say things that neither one of you are going to like to hear. (laughs) But I want you to remember I'm working for this. And I hope that you'll work harder than I do to save this. And so we kind of get that squared away. Um, And typically... I like to go back to their family of origin, um, start there. What were the messages, the attitudes and beliefs that they learned about sex or observed about sex in their homes growing up? Because that is kind of, um, if you're planting a tree, those roots are being nourished in soil. Mm -hmm. and, And every one of us had our roots nourished in some type of soil. And some of that soil is high functioning and some of that soil is not. And but when we uproot ourselves and come into marriage and, and kind of plant ourselves in this new soil that we create as husband and wife, we have to remember that those roots have been nourished in this other soil. And some people have a lot of deficiencies mm-hmm. um, and, and we need to do what we can to help them understand what those, what, what they did or did not learn. Um, people will say uh, all the time, it's so heartbreaking. And I keep thinking after 10 years of, my time teaching at BYU that it's going to be different, but I was just on Tuesday night, I have a class of about 300 students. And I asked how many of you actually got a conversation, one conversation about sexuality from your parents, or how many of you did not get at least one conversation with your parents? I, two thirds of the class raised their hand. It's still, it's still terrible. And um, so when people, when parents aren't talking about sex, they actually are really sending a big message about sex that way by not talking about it. What What is that message that they're sending? Uh, it's, it's that this is maybe bad. This mm-hmm. is not a good part of life that I'm uncomfortable with it. So don't talk to me about it. Um, that I feel ashamed about this part of myself that I have to sometimes do. Um, messages that I don't know what you grew up in. I grew up in a home and my, I'm much older than you. My, so that means my parents are older than your parents, but I remember very sitting, watching television. I had my nightgown on that came back to my mid calves and my mom came over and said, you're very immodest right now. And mm-hmm. I said, what? And she said, your ankles, we can see your ankles. Boys can see, you don't know what ankles do for men. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just baffled. And I, that message sticks out in my mind is to how we have immaturely taught that women are responsible for men's sexual thinking. That is the most dis, 
uh, unhealthy, dysfunctional idea. Um, so I, I, I got a lot of messages growing up. I have great parents. I love them. This sure. I don't think was a particular strength. Um, they tried, I think they tried their best, but um, I believe, and I tell, of course I'm teaching 20, mostly 20 year olds at BYU, but I tell them, you have to be the generation that does this different. You have to not be nervous to talk about sexual feelings, sexual pleasure, understanding how your bodies work sexually, because your children will be growing up in even more of a sexualized world than we're in right now. And they will need to know that they can come and get information from you. And so you've got to get on board with this. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll pick it back right up right there. We'll do that in the second block of the cultural hall. Best DJ in Utah.com. It's been a while since we've had a new one of these, and I apologize for that. It's because I've been so busy DJing events all over the country, uh, but especially here in Utah. Been able to do some great, uh, you know, weddings. I've done a, a prom or two for different listeners of the Cultural Hall. I love it when you uh, reach out to me at bestdjinutah.com, or uh, you can find the phone number online as well. I would love it if you say, hey, I heard about you on the Cultural Hall. Because maybe, just maybe, I give a cultural hall discount. Uh, all sorts of events. It doesn't have to be a, a wedding. It could be a community event. Maybe it's a ward or youth activity. I'm doing one of those this summer. In fact, just lock the deal down on that. Uh, whatever it may be, if you need music to accompany your event or you just need a great MC, I would love to be able to help you out. You're simply going to need to go to bestdjinutah.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, I know you, yeah, that's right, you, you have probably not taken a moment and left a review for the Cultural Hall. I know that because the number of reviews for the Cultural Hall hasn't gone up in a minute. So you've been meaning to do it. I know you have the greatest of intentions. You have so many nice words that you'd like to share with me and with everyone who might be looking and searching out a new show available in podcast form, but you have not yet left the review. Uh, go to Apple Podcasts. Take a moment. Leave that review. Won't you please? I know you have an Apple account. You just haven't left the review yet. Uh, if you don't have anything to anything nice to say, just keep that to yourself. Five-star reviews only, my friends. Uh, find the cultural hall and review it. Now, Tammy, here's the thing. I got a bone to pick with you, right? Oh no. Here, here's the here's the thing that we say that we say, and then we beat the drum and we say it, and then we beat uh, you know, constantly gong 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 gong. If we talk about it, Tammy, if we talk to our kids about sex, then they're gonna want to try it. They're gonna want to seek it out. So if I don't talk to them about it, they'll never do it until that night before they get married. And I go, oh, just make sure she has a great time. Good luck. <laughs> you know that has been a fear forever, um, and there's absolutely no research. So there's no social science research that backs it up. Actually, just the opposite. The more that parents talk about sexuality with their children, they have delayed sexual debuts. Um, they tend to wait until there's an emotional connection before they have sex. 
And so uh, that, that you might be afraid of it, but it's a, it's a fear that you don't need to be having. So, so put the way that I like to put things, you're, so you're wrong. If you think that, that's incorrect. You're, <laughs> you're stupid. Stop yeah. thinking no, that way. No, no, no. <laughs> so, so I wonder, um, you know, different states do this certainly differently. We live in Utah and there's this resistance towards, you know, sex education. It, do you find, getting you uh, sort of a hot take, is sex education something that begins in the home and is reinforced within the schools? Is it something that we, that is as parents, sort of collaborate with our schools to be able to teach our kids about sex? Do we take the the hard things in the school, reinforce the safety things? Where Where do you see that perfect match of home and school as far as sexual education? I, I really appreciate this question. For uh, 17 years, I was a high school, public high school teacher. I taught um, a course. I helped write the curriculum for the course, Adult Roles and, Re- and Responsibilities for the mm-hmm. State Office of Education here in Utah. And it talked about sexual responsibility in that class. And um, so I believe the bulk of our training must come from the home that parents need to, from day one, start um, talking about body parts, uh, c- correct terminology, explaining what these parts do, um, all that type of thing. And then I think that there, I think, uh, I, I like to ask parents to consider what is it that, what's happening to you when you hear the idea that they might be learning about sexual health in school and how you're responding to it. Because anytime you're responding out of fear, that I'm afraid that they're going to get information that they're then going to use. Just like the question you just asked, I'm afraid if I teach them, they'll go, you know, experiment. And if we're responding in fear, that's not helpful. So we need to talk to decide what is it that's going on for me? What, and choose not to respond in fear. And if there really are things actually happening in that classroom that maybe you have heard about or read about, or you have some choose to go, go be in the class. You always have the opportunity to sit in any public uh, school room and be there and not, you don't need to participate. You shouldn't participate, but just be an observer. Um, I also think it's really a good idea for you to be able to um, talk with your children about what it is they are learning or what is it they are hearing. I can promise you your children in junior high and high school, after being in the schools for so long, Mm-hmm. they are learning in the hallways much more than they're ever being talked about in the classroom. Um, and, and so I think if we're responding out of fear about what might be taught, then the best thing to do is to calm yourself down, find out what's really going on, go be there, and then always be one to ask questions. What, what do you understand about this? Um, there's a wonderful uh, website I love it. Sex positive families It is not Christian based, uh, but it's very, very well done about sexual health and sexual accountability and helping people make wise sexual choices. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great resource for parents to go to and kind of get comfortable with what what's being thrown around in and talked about a lot right now. We'll leave a link for that in the show notes so that people can be able to check that out. As a, in addition to anything that we may talk about that people want to link to and be able to to get to, uh, you know, um, I I can't help but think of my sort of my own uh, personal experience with this. Um, so my mom 
uh, very open to talk about whatever. My parents were, were divorced, and so my mom, very open to talk about whatever. You know, uh, my 18th birthday buys me the Costco ginormous box of condoms, and she thinks she's hilarious, but she knows that as far as her and I go, that, you know, that we could we could have those conversations and we could make that joke. I uh, even, I think maybe last week with my dad, made some sort of reference around something slightly sexual and i got the you know son we, we i'm not going to talk to you about that <laughs> really <laughs> and, oh. that, and that and that and that's even you know that's even as adult and, and and so let me wrap this up in a in a compliment sandwich my dad is the one who will go to any and everything that i've ever done where public could attend like he's supportive he and i have long talks about you know gospel things all of the things the one sort of like um you know they say chink in the armor or missing link or something like that is that one piece that is literally the only thing that I feel like with my dad that I couldn't talk to about. So I had a teenage son and that sounds weird that I said it that way, but I was put in the place to be a stepdad and I knew that my kid was sexually active, right? There was no, there was no question, all the things. And I, I couldn't figure out a, like a comfortable way to have a conversation with him, right? Because what it always felt like is I was like, going to be like, boy, come on in and we'll talk about your penis. And I was like, I don't, that that's not the way that we want to onboard this. Um, but but with, that's about how I ultimately decided to do it because for me, this is, you know, my opinion, I, I, I needed to know that I, one, opened the link of communication so that he knew that he could talk to me about anything. Mm-hmm. And two, I also wanted to share sort of what my engagement with sex was. So the conversation uh, what happened on the freeway freeway where I had locked both my son and his girlfriend in the car. We couldn't, we couldn't get out. And I said, let's talk about a few places where his penis does not belong. And so then we just kind of went through it. They were red and he was furious, as mm. you can probably imagine. And I said, you know what? And I just appreciate that you let me have that conversation. I hope that you guys are being safe. I don't expect that you guys won't do any of these things. But please know that if, you know, protection is something that you um, you need help getting, I will do that. And if birth control is something for her that she needs to get, we will talk to her parents. Because as much as I d- don't want you to do this at this point, I don't, the further thing is I don't want you to have a kid or some other sort of consequence from it. And, and I don't know that it was right, but I knew that it was different. And I knew that there was a huge relief as I got done with that conversation and went, okay, well, at least I, I, at least I did something. Yeah, good. And, and since that conversation, has he talked to you at all? Uh, well, not too much about that, that, but that's probably the dynamic that then I divorced his mom and we don't talk anymore at all. So there's, there's probably some more of that, but I do genuinely feel like, as I look back on that relationship, that, and a couple of other conversations where I was like, yeah, okay. At least I did that. You know, uh, his mom, the engagement of it was the S word or would spell the word as that's as far as she was able to talk about it. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't in good conscience do this. Go into the world. Be careful, please. <laughs> yeah, all that kind of stuff. Do you find that um, in in most relationships uh, uh, that you work with, that one person is fairly comfortable or open about it, and the other is really closed off, or is it mostly two closed off people? And then the uh, follow up to that: if it is just one and one, is it usually the man that's more open sexually, or is it usually the woman? So as I'm just thinking about the people I've worked with through the years, and 
for the most part, um, I think both of them are fairly comfortable talking about what's happening or not happening. Okay. Um, what I've observed though, is that they're overall for both genders or sexes that there is, um, just a lack of physiological knowledge, mm. um, female physiology, uh, particularly and, um, and, and rightly so. I mean, one of the topics I could go on forever, Richie is about sexology. The, the research of sexuality has really not ever been with women included until about the 1980s. And that's mm. the truth. All of the sexual response cycles, all the things that you learned about sex, I definitely learned that our parents learned about sex was only ever researched on men. And so there's a lack of knowledge around female physiology. We're still learning so much. I was asked to co-create uh, the first healthy sexuality class taught at BYU. And it was in 2014 was the first time we taught that class. And that very year was the first time that we actually had science about what the entire clitoral complex looks like. Mm -hmm. um, I was at a, a world global conference last November, and we've learned now that women actually have a prostate gland. And we are learning so much still. And I believe that a lot of these people coming in that don't have the knowledge that mm -hmm. it, it's not really their fault. I think it's a combination of just typically our, our there hasn't been a lot of information out there to learn from. And mm -hmm. secondly, the, the idea with the, you know, feeling like this might not be appropriate for me to do or to, to find or whatever. Yeah, you know, uh, when you say, you know, you, you got to get to know your body, get to know your sexuality, I think that people think that that's a, a, a really obvious uh, audio, you know, a wink of the eye to masturbation of some sort, right? You got to you got to figure that out. And and certainly there are lots of people with lots of opinions. And, and, and you know, from a gospel, uh, I think, position as well, there are people that sort of weaponify Weaponify? I don't know, whatever. Use it as a weapon um, within the church. So so is that what you mean when you're saying get to know your body? Or is it like, this is the shaft? This is the, you know, how? what, what do you mean when you're saying getting to know your sexuality, getting to know your, your physiology? Well, I, I, a little bit of both. I think being able to see uh, what, observe in illustrations, what it is. I have mm -hmm. models that I use so that they can look and see things when they're in my office. Um, but you know, if a, if a woman isn't able to orgasm as a sex therapeutic uh, intervention is to have her learn to touch herself so that she's able to understand what feels good so that she can then help her husband help her feel good. And um, yeah, that's something that within the, I, I obviously do a lot of therapy with LDS people um, and that it, that sometimes is a, hard hurdle to to get over because that feels sinful and wrong to do mm -hmm. that um when when i have women who are able to embrace the idea that part of your ability to mature as a woman is to understand all of your body and how all of your body is working and this is part of that and it's a good part of it it it's really difficult for a man to know how to help his wife orgasm if she's never orgasmed because yep. she doesn't know, she doesn't know how to help him. And he doesn't know what to do a lot of times either. So in those situations, um, 
you know, a lot of people very strongly feel like that, then that should still be a relational component that the husband and wife are together while she's learning that about Mm. herself. And if that's something that she feels comfortable doing, I totally believe that's best. Sex is intended to be relational. Okay. Um, If, however, it feels like she feels like uh, she's being having a spectator, uh, uh, you know, and it makes her feel more anxious, then that's defeating the whole purpose of it. And so I think that that decision ultimately is up to each individual woman. Hmm. You know, you mentioned something, and I know we've talked about it here in the cultural hall before, but this idea, I think we, when we spoke about it before, it was like dirty girl syndrome. That may not be what it is, but hopefully you know what I'm talking about, where it's like, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. We're married. It's good. Let's do it. Uh, what, do, what do you call that? The uh, That kind of... Well, I, I think, I don't know. I know there's a good boy syndrome. And- okay kind of a good girl syndrome that I've read about. I don't know about the dirty girl syndrome. It might be a misnomer. So for anyone who's like, how dare he just know that I, that was what was in the caverns of my empty brain. I wasn't making any sort of generalization, (laughs) but, but um, from, from people, I guess this is um, anecdotally that I've talked to. It it does seem um, that a lot of the time that there is that one person that, you know, they're going into the honeymoon and the one person's like, yeah. And then there's one person that's like, what? is happening and then it quickly makes it this thing that you don't talk about because it wasn't as satisfying as you wanted it to be you thought that it would be this other thing and especially if you've saved yourself for marriage you don't know what it's going to be like any other way and so you've built up this thing it's not what you wanted it to be you don't know how to deal with it you don't know how to talk about it and so from literal day one it's like yeah i don't know did you want to nah, i mean maybe not really i we yeah. could try that again There's, i i believe I believe with my time at BYU and I do a lot of honeymoon workshops that where we really do talk before people are married about what to anticipate for the honeymoon and how to prepare for that. And I hope that that's shifting, mm-hmm. at least in the, in the population that I serve. I, I think that some of that is shifting. The problem with what you're describing is, and I think that probably was the norm most of the time historically, um, and the problem with that is a woman it, uh, penetration doesn't feel good unless she's aroused. And if she's not aroused, then a lot of times there's a lot of pain associated with penetration and pain is a source it, the brain registers pain as trauma. Mm. And so when sex is associated with trauma within the brain, then she'll move forward in her life. Um, unless things change, she'll move forward. And every time penetration is going to happen, the brain is, you know, burr, 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 pain, pain, pain. And so she's tightening everything up. Her body's working against itself because of that, those first experiences that were really uncomfortable and, and sometimes very painful. And so to, for my work as a therapist, honestly, through the years that I think this has probably been the number one issue that I've worked through couples who have had wives who've had a lot of pain initially um, and then not ever really wanted to have this be part of their lives and and working through some of that trauma and learning new ways to make love slow sex tantric sex all of that and and I hear that and then I think of like a post-traumatic stress syndrome right it literally could be that that very thing Hundred percent, and that it it is sometimes EMDR is the only is the only uh, therapeutic modality that has any empirical empirical evidence that it works with trauma. Mm-hmm. And I've had clients that needed to do EMDR because of their honeymoons. Jeez, 
Jeez. All right, let's take another break. Uh, when we come back, uh, I've got a question that uh, I hope everybody enjoys, but it's worth mentioning. What with you being a professor at BYU and talking about sex, we'll get to that. We'll come back and do that in the third block of the Cultural Hall. I had an email from someone who listens to the Cultural Hall. I believe it was a not a lifer, but a convert who said, hey, Richie, are you still teaching the podcast classes? And the answer is yes. In fact, I have even fine-tuned it more than I ever had before. So you might be asking, well, Richie, how do I get in on that? Well, you can always email contact at theculturalhall.com, or you can find me on social media wherever I'm at, Richie T. Stedman, and reach out and say, hey, I listen to the Cultural Hall. I would love to learn more about podcasting or your podcast services, a class, a cohort. There's a group of people. I've even taught uh, the ward historian about podcasting, what it is and how it might be a great benefit to people. If that's something that you're interested in, whether it's for your business or just for your private hobby, maybe something you see your future in, would love to be able to help you along the way. You can find me again anywhere on social media, Richie T. Stedman, or you can uh, just contact us, contact at theculturalhall.com. Look forward to hearing from you. Let us podcast together. To be clear, this is still a show. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop, and they start at only $29 a month. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, I encourage you to be a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. Go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. There's three different tiers, a $5, a $10, and a $25 a month uh, tier for you to be able to help promote the Cultural Hall. Uh, it helps. It means a lot. There are tokens of gratitude with president's faces on them, and I appreciate it when you do that. Uh, it makes it feel valuable for my time, for the uh, a tremendous amount of time that we do to put this together. So uh, if you can, do it. And then the best part is because it's a recurring payment once a month, you'll forget about it. And then I can continue to get money from you and you don't even know that it's coming to me. It's the greatest gift you could ever give. Go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. So Tammy, uh, mm -hmm. in the last year or so... Uh, BYU has been particularly uh, popular sexually uh, on TikTok um, for a few things, um, and, and I and I only wish to uh, engage maybe uh, your well I don't know we'll see where this goes when you talk about um, because I imagine you do like this sexual purity or morality or you know that we're saving ourselves. It has long been a joke that people will, you know, run to Vegas and get married or she lays on the bed and other people jump and then that makes that so that's not sexual intercourse. How, how do you define what that like living the law of chastity is or isn't or how do you teach that? Mm. Um, so I, I am not on TikTok. Everyone says I need to be, but I haven't branched into that yet. Um, so I don't particularly know what you're talking that way, although I understand I, I know about soaking and all of that, you know, sure. the different urban dictionary terms. So how I teach about chastity is that it's a law of heaven and mm -hmm. that it's for, I believe that it's taught to us that we have this law, uh, which is that sex is in, I, I believe the law of chastity is sex is meant to be shared in a relationship, in a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. And that um, waiting until marriage to share that part of your uh, life is just, you know, it's wise. It's sexual conservatism is just wise, especially for women. Uh, if you talk about STIs and pregnancies and, but it also is wise as far as emotional, um, you know, you're, there's a lot of fragmentation that can happen and things like that emotionally. 
so I teach that. I also really let them know that I believe they are um, accountable for the choices that they make. They need to be uh, aware of what this is, the law of heaven, it's the order of heaven. And then the, they may need to make choices. I get asked all the time, where's the line? Mm-hmm. And so for me, when they anyone asks me that, I will say, I believe the line is when you're together and you start feeling yourself getting very aroused, it's time to stop. Because at after you've gotten aroused and you're still enjoying, you know, whatever you're doing, it, it's going to go too far and you're going to have a lot of regret. Likely you'll have a lot of regret for making that choice. So, so what I do is I focus on what does arousal, sexual arousal feel like? Mm-hmm. What does it, how can you start identifying physiologically when you're aroused? Because if they can understand, especially women, if they can understand I'm getting aroused. So it, to me, I'm, it's time for me to stop now. I, mm-hmm. I think that's, that is really how I teach the love chastity is that way. You know, the, the other part of the TikTok thing, and since we already went there, I'll, I'll already do, I'll just sort of go for it. One of the things that they said, and this kind of caught on and, 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 and most of me wants to believe that this is not a thing that occurs, but the idea being that, um, that people would have sex with the armpit of the other person and that then there were armpit crabs that were sort of shared about is that that really is just well first of all odd <laughs> second of all uh, a splitting of a hair but but then third of all the fact that uh, like an std i guess that's maybe where i start to believe it because in my young 20s I didn't understand how sexually transmitted diseases would occur. I didn't, you know, I I didn't know any of that stuff. And so I guess that portion of that makes me believe, yeah, if I was, you know, if I was going to BYU and I wanted to live the law of chastity and, you know, all of these things, I may, would I be seeking for a, a split hair, uh, a way that I could get some sort of sexual satisfaction without disappointing my heavenly father? But I feel like that's missing the point when you start doing things like that. 100% is missing the point. I believe if, if we think that is there for our safety, is there um, when you are choosing to do things sexually without the covenant of marriage being involved, you're taking into account people's souls and those souls have been whether they're they're here on earth right now or those that you might bring into the world because mm-hmm. of your behavior every one of us have already been atoned for through the atonement of Jesus Christ. He suffered for each of us. And I think when we understand that and we go ahead and choose to do these other things, we're really mocking the atonement. Um, And and so I make sure my students hear that loud and clear that they will be accountable for what they choose to do. And they know better. I don't know. I hear all those little stories too, Mm -hmm. but I don't, know that they're really happening. I hope they're not happening. Yeah. And in my mind, I go, ah, probably one. <laughs> There's yeah, probably maybe. a couple people that go, yeah, this is, this is not it. This is fine. Let's do this. Just because that's how the the human, uh, human mind works. I want to ask you, uh, replenish creating sexual fulfillment in marriage. That's the title of your book. Is it like a workbook? We're starting chapter one, breaking it down. Is it a, this is the beauty that could be created if you're able to, you know, engage in these things. What, what, how does that book work? I'm so glad you asked me about the book. So, um, let me just give you a little history about the book quick. Um, it took me seven years to write it. 
I don't know anyone that does exactly what I do, Richie. I, mm -hmm. I don't know people that are actually sex therapists that also include a lot of research and the spiritual component, as well as experiential things that you I want you to be working on. And so the book is unique. It's not like any book that I've ever read, and I probably own the bulk of sexual books that have been published. Um, it has a, a real, uh, to me, a religious uh, uh, component um, about understanding sexuality and an eternal dynamic. It has re all kinds of research. As a matter of fact, it's going into its third printing and I had so many people ask to create an index for it because of the amount of research involved. And so that I'm excited that the third, the third printing will have the index. It also has a, a place where individually as a woman or a husband or a wife that you're processing each chapter. So if this principle is here, you're processing by yourself what that looks like to you, what that means to you. How does that fit in your paradigm of sexuality? And then it has the component for you as husband and wife to sit down together mm. and talk about what did that mean to you so that you understand each other in this particular principle sexually, because you're one another sexual stewards. And as you talk together, you, I, I encourage, I call it a sexual playbook because I think rule, but we don't need any more rules around. Yeah. Sexuality. So um, I encourage couples to create together from the work in this book, their own sexual playbook. So they, they take from this because to me, sex is a form of adult play that they take from this, what, what is it we're going to uh, implement and use in our marriage from this principle. And then every chapter has all kinds of sexual experiential things for couples to do together to learn and apply a particular principle from the chapter. So it is my, other than raising my children, it's my life's work. When I'm retired, I am retiring from BYU at the end of this semester. I'll still have my private practice and do making love retreats and those types of things. But um, I, want, I want there to be some source for people to still get the help I think they need. And, and I would think too, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I feel like, oh, my, my sexual relationship with my partner, that's pretty good. I would bet that there can always be a greater depth and a and a and more understanding. And so it this isn't just for and I'm air quoting for people who are just listening that you know the sick sexual couple like it can be the the really healthy couple wants to find a greater depth in their sexuality. I I have the latest research. I include so the book came out December twenty eighth of twenty twenty two, and um, I have information in that from November twenty two worldwide conference on women's sexual health. It is up to date. I can assure you, any of your listeners that you think you know it all, tell me a little bit about the female prostate. Mm. Mm. Tell me about female ejaculation and then tell me you know it all. Yeah. Because yeah, you, you don't. She's calling out the challenge. You can tell her you know it all. It's Tammy Hill. You know, Tammy, there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I know our time wanes short with you, so I'll get to those right now. The first question is, Is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? I am a gospel doctrine teacher in my ward. Nice. Are you the uh, Are you the only one? You tag team it once every couple months? Um, there's a, a man that also teaches. So once a, week, once a month I teach, and once a month he teaches. Do you have a particular favorite um, year of teaching gospel doctrine? This is my first year, and Richie, I've been terrified. I've been in primary 
I've been serving in primary, no lie, 37 years. Wow. And I, I know primary. I love kids. My favorite is the chorister. And so I got this call in January and it's, it's kind of stressed me out a lot, actually. <laughs> I'm sure you're awesome. I'm sure it would be a great class. I, told to be the bishop, I can totally talk to you about, can we, can I teach about sexuality? <laughs> I, I feel really comfortable doing that, but this, this just felt really, is stretching me. That's great. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Mm -hmm. I would love to, my dream calling would be to, um, with my husband who also teaches at BYU all about finance. Hmm. So he does money. I do sex. My dream calling would be to be able to do, I don't know that it would be at the church because you can't really talk about sex at the church, but that we would like. Now, which is a conversation, by the way, for an entirely different time. But, exactly. But we digress. Um, that we could do like family home evenings and couples that young couples could come and we could do family home evening, eat together and teach them about finances or sexuality, how to bless their marriages. And I think that would be a, a riot. That'd be life-changing. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about the things where we struggle, especially at first. It, it is one or of the other or both. Hmm. It is. It is. Um, we're, we're putting together. I'm excited about it. I do making love retreats often, and um, we're putting together a money and sex retreat that we're going to do for the first time in 2024. I'm excited for that. That's tremendous. Not only for the help that it brings, but that you get to bring spouse along and be like, let's do this. Let's talk about yeah. it. Uh, the final question we ask everyone, we ask you to interpret it however you like to, uh, okay. but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? My favorite part of my faith. Um, so uh, my first husband passed away 22 years ago, and um, my favorite part of my faith is I can absolutely tell you I know with every cell of my body that there's life after death. And there's a lot more to look forward to. And I hold on to that knowledge when things don't sometimes feel like they're, they're shifting in a direction that I've been hoping or longing for. I hold on to that knowledge that there is so much more than what we have here. Oh, pretty powerful. Uh, the link for all the things we talked about uh, during this episode available in the show notes. You can find them there. Uh, especially encourage you to get that book now that it's in its third printing. And, you know, the fools who bought it without an index, buy that book with an index now. Now you can find exactly what you're looking for. Uh, that link for that in the show notes as well. Tammy, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body. And that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week. And that when the time comes, <laughs> you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.